This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. If you've ever been on date night, let me just see your hand. You ever gone on a date? You ever had date night? Let me see your hand. Come on, loud and proud. Date night. I'm I'm almost a decade into this game. So this last week on Friday night, me and Julia had date night. Holla at you. Date night changes when you get older. Okay. Even when we first had little kids, we used to put them to bed and go to go to date night at like 9 p.m. You know you're getting old when you leave for date night at 6 p.m. 6 p.m. We're out the door. So 6 p.m. We're out the door and we go to sushi. Why do I like sushi? No, I don't. But it's date night. So Julia chooses. So we're going to a sushi place. I don't really like it, but it's all good. I'm trying to score points. You know what I'm saying? So, so we she chose the sushi restaurant. We go to the sushi restaurant. Now I'm a trained dog. I'm trained, I'm trained husband. I know what to do when we get to date night. First thing I do when we get to date night, turn in my phone. Babe, here's my phone. Am I mentally just, you know, going through hardship the whole the whole dinner? Yes, I am, but it's all right. It's date night. So we're there, we're having a good time. Now it's date night, trained, so I know, babe, order whatever you want. You just, you just order. I'm not, I don't need to order anything. It's you, you're in charge tonight. So my wife starts ordering. You ever been with someone and they order too much food and it's obvious? Like my wife starts, or I start doing the calculations of the bill. I don't want to tell her that, but I'm like, this is going to be our life savings. So, so she orders way too much food and we're sitting there for two hours and we're enjoying the conversation because my phone's turned in and, um, and we're talking, we're, we're catching up and, and, and we're just eating they just keep bringing food. And you ever been there at dinner? This happens to all of us. You ever be there in the middle of the meal, you're having dinner, and you think to yourself, this should be my quitting point right here. Like, I should stop eating right here, but you and I both know no one has self-control like this, so you just keep going. So I'm like four or five dishes past my quitting point. They bring the bill, I give them our life savings, and we walk out the door. Like, I walk out, I'm in regret, I feel terrible about myself self-confidence levels just through down the drain so we walk out my wife's like babe you know we should go down to salt and straw because salt and straw is right here and I'm like woman you are yeah let's do it let's get in the car we're not walking because you're in the boot so we're gonna get in the car and drive a block so we drive a block we go down to salt and straw we order ourselves we get ourselves ice cream the next day the next morning you ever wake up the next day after eating too much and you get mad at yourself you know like the next morning I woke up and I was like who do you think you are like, do you, you're not 24, you're 38, you have children and credit cards, you need to stop this. Like, once on your lips, forever on your hips. Don't judge the floral jacket, I'm preaching. But, um, just, I, I want to talk today about living in contentment. We live in this culture that is obsessed with more. We need more. We need more of this. We need more of that. And to arrive at contentment is seemingly impossible. Paul the Apostle is trying to teach Colossus in this city at this time from Rome in prison. Guys, please hear me. You've got to learn that Christ is sufficient for all things. Now, there's two things that Paul emphasizes in the book of Colossians. Number one, Jesus' supremacy. And number two, Jesus' sufficiency. He is all super powerful. He is, in fact, Paul says it this way. In him, all things exist. They were created for him and through him and to him. He is the firstborn amongst creation. So he's trying to convince us Jesus has all the supremacy. And in Christ, we have total soul sufficiency. In other words, to say this is um, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. 
If you have Jesus, you have all that your soul needs. Now, there's five things that Paul just said in our reading, five things that he just explained that I want to break down for you. Write down number one. The first thing that he says is beware of false teachers. He says, guys, remember growing up, you go to somebody's house and they have that sign, beware of dog. Or you, you see, you know, like at, at some, some, somebody's house, beware of this. Like it just, just, I want to give a sign. I wish we could see Paul walk with a sign into Colossus going, guys, beware of the false teachers. They're out there and they're teaching a philosophy that's wrong. They're teaching that you have to, by human standards, put your hand to the plow and work hard again. He's basically saying, guys, don't, they might look good, they might sound good, they sound smart, they sound intelligent, they sound appealing, but if you have Jesus, you don't need to add on to Jesus any other religion, any other belief, or any other thing. It's like, it's like we live in this culture in Los Angeles where it's like, I want some Jesus, I like Jesus. I'll take him on my buffet plate, but I'm going to go down the line. I want to add a little of this. I want to add a little so-and-so. I might add a little bit of that. No, no, Paul is rebuting that. He's saying all that we need is Jesus. Don't you add on to anybody else or any other religion or any other God or any other practice, and let alone don't add on legalism. What is legalism? Legalism is I don't trust God to accomplish all this. I need to take it into my own hands. So I got to work things. I got to work harder. I got to get in good with God. No, he's saying, guys, I don't care if it's legalism or other religions. Beware of the false teachers and the false prophets that are going to lead you away from a pure and a simple devotion to Jesus Christ. Watch here what he says on the screen. This is Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. What is Paul really saying here? He's saying, guys, come on. Really? You and I are putting our whole lives on this person, not on ourselves and not on any other practice. We are banking everything on Jesus. And why are we hanging our hats on Jesus? Why are we making it all about the Son? Why is Jesus our obsession and our focus and all of our faith? Why? Paul continues the thought. He says, I'll tell you why. Because, um, well, God saw fit to take all of his deity and put it in Jesus. And Jesus is so generous, he took all that he was and he put it inside of us. This is unbelievable to think about. God, in fact, the Bible says God was glad to do this. God was excited to do this. He took all of his deity. He took, in other words, all of his authority, all of his power, all of his character, all of his nature. He took all of God and he put it into his son. Jesus is both the person and the presence of God himself. He is God. When he walked this earth and even today, he walked as God in the flesh. He had all of the deity and watch God. This is so like Jesus. The kingdom of God is all about giving. This is just my favorite part about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is all, emphasis one more time. The kingdom of God is all, it's all about giving. So God gave Jesus all this and Jesus is so good, he gives it to us. That's why when you become a believer and you start following Jesus, one of the first things you wanna do is download push pay and tithe. Why? Because the kingdom of God is all about giving. When God gets your heart, the first thing he gets is your money. Oh, don't you get quiet on me. Because the kingdom of God is all about giving. 
So God takes everything he is, dumps it into his son. Jesus takes everything he is and puts it inside of us. Watch how Paul puts it. We just read it, but just for emphasis, look at the screens one more time. It says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So I love that word. You've been brought to fullness. So, so in other words, you ever, you ever go and you see, um, you see a couple, you see parents, and you see their kids, and you're like, huh, this is interesting. Because the kids don't look like the mom and dad. How did that happen? It's so weird. Because the parents look one way, but the kids, they don't look. That's How could the, both parents have black hair? They both have brown hair. How could they produce a son with blonde hair? That's really weird. Julia, how did that happen? Anyways, but like, how does that happen? We'll talk later, boot. Anyways, appreciate that laugh. I don't know who that was, but I got him right there. I got somebody. We are a reflection of Jesus. God took all that he is and put it in his son, and Jesus takes all that he is and puts it inside of us. So now we're carrying, the Bible says we're carrying in these broken vessels, we're carrying his treasure, we're carrying his spirit, we're carrying his heart. We are ambassadors of Christ. Why? Because Jesus is on the inside right now. He's doing a mighty work. Come on. Anybody thankful today that this is the reality of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you haven't written it down, write down number two. Jesus is full of God, and now we are full of Jesus. Jesus is full of God, and now we are full of Jesus. And we are full of Jesus. Why? Because the Bible implicitly says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it dwells within us. So Jesus is on the inside. And when Jesus gets on the inside of your life, when you accept him as your Lord and Savior, when you confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, when Jesus comes on the inside, Paul's explaining, what happens is Jesus starts doing a mighty work on the inside. In fact, write down number three. He calls it here Jesus surgery. I love this. This is my favorite part of the whole section. Jesus surgery. His language is a little bit different. He says, um, guys, all that God was, he put in the son, his deity, he put into Jesus. And Jesus now has brought you to fullness. And you were, this is kind of awkward, I know. He says, and you were circumcised with a circumcision that was not made of hands. Why is the Bible talking about circumcision? Now it's awkward. Like, why are we talking about circumcision in church? The Bible has been talking about circumcision all the way since Deuteronomy, all the way from the Old Testament. And he's not talking about circumcision that was of hands, but he was talking about that God would come in and cut off the sin nature, cut off your old person, cut off all that addiction and that wickedness and that sin cycle and cut it out so we could become born again. He said, and you were circumcised by God himself. Jesus himself came in and cut out your old sin nature. Oh, this is so powerful because I love that Jesus never starts on the outside. He always starts on the inside. Like we don't serve the God of plastic surgery. Plastic surgery is religion. Religion is the outside. You got to get right and dress right and, and talk right. No, no, God never starts with your language or behavior. He starts with your heart and who you really are on the inside. So he does such a surgery on who you really are and cuts out that old craving and that old addiction and that old identity and that old way of thinking, that old depression. He cuts out that because he loves you and he's for you. 
This is, this is Jesus' surgery. I had a friend the other day that was going under a major surgery. And, and, and right before he was going under, I knew it was a big one. So I was like, hey, are you good? Like, I'll come right now to the hospital and I'll come and I'll be by your side and I'll pray with you because I know what it means to go into major surgery and go under and you're scared and you don't know what's going to, you have no control and you don't know what's going to happen. And so I was like, I'll be there because I've been through major surgery. I broke my thumb once and I had to have surgery. <laughs> Flower jacket. So I just, I, I broke my thumb. And when I broke my thumb, well, you know, I'll show you my scar later, but they had to put two pins. Stop laughing at me. I feel like you guys are laughing at me today. But they had to put two pins in my thumb. And when, when they did the surgery, they gave me meds. They gave me laughing gas or some sort of, uh, uh, what is it? An anesthesia. I appreciate it. Anesthesia where they, 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 they put me out. When, when the surgery was over and I came to, they were telling me stories about what I was saying when I was, when I was under, when I was out. And they were talking, they're laughing at me, what I had done and what I had said. And, 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 but I don't remember any of it. I, I love Jesus so much because Jesus is the type of surgeon that he'll put you under before he does the work. His presence is so good that when you come into his presence, it is like laughing gas. It is like that. What did you say? Anesthesia. It is like anesthesia that all of a sudden you don't feel. You ever been to the dentist and the dentist is supposed to numb an area and they're supposed to start the work. And then when they start the work, you're like, I'm sorry, this is not numb. I feel everything you're doing. I feel right now. God is so good that it's almost like when he does his best work in your life. You, you don't even feel it. Not like this. Oh, man, he's just ripping me apart. Really? Because I find God to be so good that when I come into his presence and I stand with him, the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I get with Jesus and all of a sudden it's like he starts cutting stuff out of my life and off of my heart that I'm like, this is like the greatest surgery I've ever faced and I don't even feel any of the pain. I actually come out and say, what just happened? I'm better and freer and I'm going forward because Jesus loved me so much. He did the work on the inside of my life. Come on, anybody agree with that today? He says, be careful, guys. Be, beware. There's these false teachers. They're going to try and take the foundation you have on Jesus. They're going to try and add all these other religions and all these other philosophies. and all. Don't, don't do it. Stay. Remember, God, God was so gracious. He put everything he is inside of his son. And Jesus is so loving. He puts everything inside of us. And when he gets on the inside of us, he does such a mighty surgery. It's almost like cuts out the old sin nature. He furthers the thought and says... Not only do you have surgery, but you get baptized. And you go down and you die and share in his death. And then you come up and you share in his resurrection. Watch here as it comes on the screen. And listen to the language that Paul is using here. He says in verse 11 and 12, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ himself. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So now we share in his death and his resurrection. 
So in other words, God does such a surgery on my heart and in my life that I want to put my old life to rest and come up in my new identity and my new purpose and in my new passion. Oh, God, God, this is the good stuff. This is when you really start having fun following God. When you say, God, I'm not living for myself. I'm not living for the world. I'm not living for lust or fame. I am now, I'm crucifying my flesh and I'm coming up in power. I'm coming up in resurrection power. Now, when you get this in your life, the Bible says just so that you can walk freely, just so you can move forward, just so you can say no to your past and yes to your future, God says, watch what I'll do. I will put up on the cross everything that you owed me, your total debt, everything that you should have owed me, I will hang on the cross for you to see and everybody else to see, you no longer owe me this payment. In fact, write down number four, nailed to the cross. Jesus took all of our sin and all of our shame, all of our shortcoming, all of, all of, all of our mistakes, and he says, bring them to me. How much, how much of a debt, how much of a bill are we talking? Anybody here, you've ever had student loans before? Let me just see your hand. Have you ever had student? Anybody here, you've ever had credit card debt in, the, in, in any point in your life? We all know what it means to have debt. We all know what it means to owe somebody. Hey, bro, I'll Venmo you later. I know I owe you. I'm a, Ven- I'm a square cashier. We all have owed. You and I owed God a bill that was so atrocious. It was so enormous. It was beyond description. God says, bring me the bill. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how gross it is. I don't care what everybody tells you how awful it is. Bring me the debt and I will cancel out the payment and I will hang it on the cross for you to see and be reminded I took your place. This is so good. This is Jesus. Uh, Other translations here say he has wiped out our debt. This translation here says he has canceled our debt. I was talking to a friend the other day and he was telling me the story. It was wild. He was telling me about this establishment that told him he, he owed X amount of money. And he's like, I don't owe you X amount of money. So they got the lawyers involved and the lawyers started battling and the establishment said, if your client does not pay up, we will put up his face and name and the amount he owes in our establishment all over the place so people know this is the debt he carries. I think Jesus is so good. He says, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to hang up your debt and I'll show it to the world that I paid the price and I endured the cross and I went through the shame so you could live free, so you can live without guilt and without shame and without condemnation. Come on, somebody praise God today that come on, our sins have been wiped away. The debt has been canceled. Why? So I can walk around after surgery and baptism with my head high going, I'm good. Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And I have to hold my head down going, ah, give him time. He's going to do surgery. Ah, next season I'm going to do baptism. Ah, I still owe a debt. No, I'm good. I'm moving forward in freedom. I'm moving forward in purpose. I've got a new identity. I've got a new creation. I've got new lusts. I've got new passions. I've got new cravings. I want to serve the church. I want to build God's house. I want to do things right. I want to apologize. I want to repent. I want to get my life right with Jesus. And God furthers the thought and says, not only am I going to nail to the cross your indebtedness, but just so I can God is so good this way. Just so I can make up, it's my favorite, these two words, public spectacle. Whoa! 
so I can make a public spectacle of all the other gods that are vying for your attention. I will let them know that I triumphed over them by the power of the cross. In fact, write down the last thought today. Behold the public spectacle. Our God has won the victory. Let me read this one more last time for emphasis. Verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can say, what's your debt? How much do you owe? What is it? What, have you, what kind of a bill have you racked up? Bring it here. And I'll take it and I'll put it on the cross so that every time you look at the cross, the cross is a reminder that you owe nothing. That I have taken your place and I endured the shame and I, I, I chose to endure all of your guilt, all of your condemnation, I bore it on my life. And not only did I do this for you, but I want to tell you, I'm, I am making a public service announcement to any other God that's trying to fight for you, to any other religion that's trying to get your attention. I want to let the whole world know I will make a public, oh God, this is so good, that God wants to make on full display. Everything that God does in your life is, goes from private to public. Everything that God does in your world, it starts private and it goes public. That's why it says whatever's whispered in your ear, shout on the rooftop. It says when you get a vision or a dream, write it down in Habakkuk. Because one day someone's going to need to run with that thing. Make it plain because God goes from private to public. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's in a private place. His, his disciples have abandoned him. But he knows he's about to go public. And he's about to literally die on the cross for the sins of the world. And he will let the whole world be served notice. I have paid your debt. And any other God has to bow down. You want to go against me? Come on. I will make a public spectacle of you. This is Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather stuff. This is toe-to-toe. God saying, give me your best shot. What do you got to offer? What, do you, what can you offer my children? Because I give freedom. I give forgiveness. I give power. I give all that I am. I give the spirit of the living God. I don't know what anybody else tried to offer you, but they can't offer you what my God has offered you. Somebody praise him today because the cross has triumphed over sin and judgment and all kinds of sickness. Come on, somebody clap and thank Jesus today. Come on, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet today. I want to read you this quote as we end. This is just an unbelievable thought. Just let me close with this quote. If you could put that quote up on the screen. I found this this week that I thought was so encouraging. All power structures, ancient or modern, whether political, economic, or racial, have the potential to become rivals to Christ, beckoning his followers to submit themselves to them in order to find a fuller security. I'm here to tell you that there is nobody and nothing that you need to add to your faith other than Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. He is the supremacy and he is the sufficiency. Come on, let's clap our hands one more time and thank our God for being who he is. Come on, if you believe it with some conviction, come on, let's clap a little louder and thank Jesus. He is who he says he is. He can do what he said he would do. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, we worship you today. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope you were inspired and encouraged by the message. To get more information about Zoe Church, check out our website, www.zoechurch.org 
or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newly added Snapchat under the handle Zoe Church LA. Have a blessed day.